Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Tanmay Vora. He is the founder of Q Aspire Consulting. Hey, Tanmay, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Yeah, we're thrilled. You and I have a lot of similar interests. We're going to be talking about a lot of great stuff. We're going to get into leadership, building teams in digital workplaces. But as always, first, let's check to make sure you are a real human being. So your capture question is this. Uh, what do people closest to you say is your best characteristic? A lot of my friends uh, tell me that uh, humility is my strength that being able to lead an organization without letting all of that go into my head, mm. um, keeping my heart in the right place, uh, that is, at, you know, with people, I think that's my, that's my superpower. Good. That's always good when somebody else says that you're humble. It's hard when like you're the one telling people you're humble. Absolutely. If other people say it, then it's great. Well, good. Let's start off with just a little bit about QAspire, this new venture that you, you started up with. How did that get started? And what's kind of your background in leadership in digital spaces? So after leading uh, large organizations uh, for about 23 years, uh, and my last stint was as a country managing director for a large uh, Finnish company having a 700 people development center in India. And I was leading that whole uh, organization as a country managing director. Um, All of this experience and uh, having written about leadership learning and change for about 14 years uh, has given me a very good playground in terms of implementing uh, the kind of leadership beliefs that I hold very closely and uh, experiment them in real time with the organizations that I was leading and managing. And all this experience uh, culminated into QSPIRE Consulting, wherein I bring uh, you know, my uh, visual thinking superpower uh, combined with all my experience uh, and curiosity to learn more about how do we really build inclusive digital workplaces um, that's so QSPAR consulting is a combination of visual consulting, graphical recording, uh, leadership development interventions, and a lot of capability consulting in terms of how do organizations really build um, uh, capabilities in terms of culture, people, values, alignment, um, uh, you know, and, and, and competencies that they require to strategically win at, at their games. Tommy, let's go back to like the early part of your career. Like what's something that you learned in some of those first positions you held about leadership that you still feel like is true today, despite all the changes that have happened? Yeah, I think uh, I was fortunate to start my first leadership uh, position as a, as a manager of quality in an organization where I didn't have a direct reporting team. I was sort of a uh, linchpin trying to keep different groups with different competing priorities together. And uh, fortunately, the reason I say fortunately, because that taught me the power of leading with uh, influence and leading without authority, because technically I didn't have authority over anyone. And I mm. still had to yeah. ensure that they follow the processes that I define with them and, and include them into the whole process. And that's how my journey of inclusive leadership and leading with influence really started. And along the career, uh, even when I've had uh, authority positions in the organizations, my natural default state of uh, leading uh, people is to lead from the place of collaboration and trust, uh, to lead from the place of empathy and uh, enable uh, people to really grow uh, when they work with me and, and my groups. So that's been yeah. 
that's been the that's been the journey. Uh, that's been the early experiences of of leading. Obviously, it was not easy. Uh, obviously, I learned from the University of Hard Knocks, as they say. Uh, but yeah. it was all worthwhile at the end of the day. I think that's great. The example you gave about how to be a leader when you don't have authority, because a lot of times people they walk into a leadership role and immediately they have all these direct reports and people have to listen to them and they're kind of coerced into that. So it's it's fantastic that you, you got the experience of being a leader yet not having all that coercion around you. You had to kind of build that trust. That's a great example. Tell us about something recently that you've come across like in the last year throughout all this pandemic when so much of team building and leadership has gone digital. What's something new that you learned like this past year that you didn't really anticipate learning? I think the whole, my whole notion of leadership was centered around meeting people on a day-to-day basis, face-to-face, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shaking hands with them, going to their desks, checking in, having lunches and dinners together. So a lot of my leadership style was very much in person. And uh, mm-hmm. if there's been one significant learning in last one year, then that has been that how do we become a better digital leader? I mean, how do we lead virtually and still be effective at what we're doing? And I think that's been a totally different ballgame uh, compared to you know walking into a building, meeting people. This has been a different ballgame altogether. And it's been a significant learning for me uh, personally. So how have you adapted? Like, what are some new things that you're doing in, in that world? Or did you just feel like, hey, this is not going to work at the start and then it ended up working? Or what was that journey like for you? So I think that uh, the fundamental principles of connecting with other human beings, uh, with team members, the need for them to be heard, the need for them to be appreciated, the need for connection uh, more than communication is still there. So I sort of took those basic building blocks of leading a team, uh, the the foundational elements of leading a team, and then started mapping uh, the technologies that we have at our disposal to align with those principles. So for example, uh, the need for appreciation and how do we really use digital tools to appreciate our people? And so we started this experiment of uh, having a kudo board where, you know, the whole team uh, sort of appreciates each other and and you know the person who receives most appreciation at the end of the month we we do some special reward and recognition and, and so on and so forth so those kind of experiments really uh, really help um we used a lot of uh, you know virtual communication video based communication uh, slack channels uh you know microsoft teams uh, yammer etc to really come to really bring all of this together so that uh people don't feel uh, isolated uh, or alone when they're working from remote. Obviously, um, it was a trial and error process, but at the end of the day, I think a few things that work include constant communication, uh, you know, with with the team members, checking in personally to one to ones. I think has been um, has been a practice that I've been following for all my career. But more specifically, in the digital times, uh, the the need to connect with people on a one to one basis without overwhelming them with too many meetings. I think that's been a that's been a real challenge that that uh, had to be conquered. Yeah, I want to dive into this idea of constant communication more because on the one hand, yes, we definitely need to be in communication on a consistent basis. And yet there's also this feeling of like constant taken to the extreme where it's like literally throughout the day you're having one conversation or you you just have Slack messages or, or Microsoft team conversations going on all day long, which is completely exhausting, both for the leader and the other person who feels like they need to to stay in touch. So define a little bit more. What means, how would you define constant communication, but in a healthy way within those boundaries? 
So uh, I think the the most important thing uh, that that often gets missed in the virtual communication mode is uh, the ability to build trust with people, and uh, especially with especially with new team members who are onboarding remotely, um, uh, you know who you know little about and who know very little about you. I think that's where um, it's very hard to build uh, the kind of trust that really happens in, in in person. And overall cohesion in the team takes a really takes a backseat when people are working virtually and are constantly distracted in their home environment. Um, how do you really bring them together? So I think the the, the balance that has uh, worked for me is that uh, once in a day we do a team huddle, which is uh, early in the morning. We get so teams get together and prioritize the day and they say here's what we are doing here are possible roadblocks and so on and so forth now when the team progresses through the day if they hit a roadblock uh you know then we have a a teams microsoft teams channel going on where you know there is a lot of that conversation that keeps going on about who's doing what where are the dependencies and so on and we have encouraged people to um to pick up the phone and talk to the other person when they need help rather than relying mm. on the team channel so that even if somebody is not attending to teams constantly, they are still able to uh, get things done through through a phone call uh, and so on. What we also do is that once in a week, um, that we do a, a, a once in a week one to one, wherein the the focus is not that much on work, but it's it's more on checking in personally in terms of how is that person doing, uh, how has been the week. Um, how is that person feeling about the organization, about the team? Uh, what is impeding the the progress with that particular team member? It could be personal challenges. It could be anything, right? So it's more of one-to-one connection rather than... And, and there's a lot of informal conversation happening in the one-to-one as well, because I think that the most significant learning between a manager or a leader and, and, a, and a team member, or, or I would rather call it two colleagues, uh, happens when they share ideas in an informal uh, fashion and that's what these one-to-ones are enabling in terms of every week you talk about um, you know things outside of the s- scope of work I think that really enriches the conversation and the connection between the two people let's talk a little bit more about the one-to-ones because I see what you're saying and I also have this this feeling of like when I do one-to-ones with people like sometimes there's like personal conversation like how's it going tell me about what's going on in your life outside of work there's this coaching element to it of trying to help them walk through situations, say, okay, tell me more about that. Let's figure out how you can build up your career in this way. It also feels like it's part performance, like you're reviewing their performance over the last uh, week or month or so. And also feels like sometimes it's like status updates, like getting things up. Should a good leader like separate those conversations out or just let them be all mixed together? Or what's good and bad in those one-on-ones? I think that the one-on-ones have to be informal and uh, unstructured. Uh, that's my that's my firm belief. Uh, because when when you have a very tight agenda around one-to-ones, and I have had made that mistake of keeping one-to-ones very agenda-centric. Um, mm-hmm. But when you do a one-to-one on a weekly basis, right, uh, the flow of conversation between between the team member and the manager is so fluid. It, it's it, the conversation so flows that. That distinction probably is not required because there are times when uh, the work agenda is slightly lower than uh, the personal agenda. There are times when the employee wants to discuss their growth aspiration. There are times when they want to discuss an interpersonal problem that they're facing in the team uh, and so on and so forth. 
what has worked for me is that I've kept these one-to-ones really, really informal and uh, having no specific agenda. Uh, my core uh, focus there is on listening rather than uh, than speaking. Uh, you know, I ask a lot of open-ended questions and, and that gives me a very good understanding of the pulse of the team member. Uh, performance conversations are more structured. Uh, mm-hmm. However, uh, even one-to-ones serve very well in terms of setting the expectation in a very gentle and soft manner. Um, you know, in a way that when you actually do a performance discussion, there are no surprises uh, that the person gets because everything that we are discussing in a formal performance meeting is already discussed week on week uh, with the employee in a one-to-one format. And I think that that rule of no surprises has really served me well yeah. uh, over the years. It, it saves me a lot of heartburn uh, and it saves the employee <laughs> a lot of heartburn because, you know, they're not going to get any new uh, surprises and everything you're saying now it is something that you might have shared with them before. And so it's already known to them. Yeah, I felt that so much. I was doing a performance review for somebody and it was like an official standard one that a larger organization does on like a quarterly basis. And I was going to start typing things, which may have seemed like critical or like negative there. But I, I thought, well, like we've already talked about this, like they know what's coming. These things are there. And there are also a lot of good things too. But it was nice to feel like, okay, this wasn't going to come as a surprise to this person. And we, we talked about that afterwards. And that was just a great experience. So I think that that's a, a fantastic insight to share. Let's skip over to what people are struggling with right now. Like as you're talking with leaders and you're working with other people, where are the the hard things that they just can't seem to figure out right now? Where are they spending most of their time just trying to to think and find new solutions? I think one of the things that most people are struggling with is that in a typical normal environment, in the old normal, if we may call it that way, uh, people used to pack their bags at, you know, uh, it's at a certain point in the day and say that, now, if this is the end of the workday, I'm going home. And that served as a physical, um, uh, you know, um, saying that now my workday ends and my, mm. uh, you know, uh, personal life begins and so on. It, in, in remote work, uh, the boundary between the work and life is really blurred. And a lot of people are struggling with that. Um, even organizational expectations in many cases, unfortunately, is aligned in, in such a way that now that you don't have to go to the office, you know, why don't you attend a late late night meeting or a very early morning yeah. meeting and stuff like that? I think that a lot of people are struggling with, and especially with the waves of COVID going on, um, you know, it becomes even more difficult. And uh, people have been explicitly asking about not having late evening meetings and stuff like that. So I think one of the things that people really, really struggle with and is, is you know, this blurred boundary between work and life. The other important uh, things that people mostly struggle with is, a lack of human connection at work, uh, uh, leading to lack of team spirit, that people feel that we are working together, we are we are doing our bits, but how does how does this whole thing contribute to the organizational strategy? So there is a fair bit of lack of alignment that people um, face when they when they see that their work uh, they when they cannot see how their work is contributing to the larger purpose, and I mm-hmm. think that's where there is a lot of leadership work that needs to be done. Um, I think a lot loneliness, lack of connection, lack of team spirit, um, you know, and, and blurred boundary uh, between work and life. I think those are primary challenges that people face. Um, I think uh, from a mental health perspective, people are facing anxiety over what happens to their job, what happens to the organization, um, what if they get stuck with COVID or, and so on and so forth. So I think those are some of the real, real, uh, you know, problems that people are facing. Uh, 
especially when they see people around them getting infected, getting hospitalized and stuff like that, it takes a real toll on their on, on their productivity and, and, and overall overall mental health. Uh, just leads yeah. to more anxiety. All right, uh, Tom, I'm going to ask you uh, a question here. Looking at the future of digital leadership, like if you're looking at what it's going to take for someone to be a very competent, successful, skilled leader over the next five years, let's just say, in this new digital environment, give me like three topics that you feel like if you were designing like a college course for that you say, you got to learn this, you got to learn this, you got to learn this. Like what would be that if you were to redesign a new degree program for digital leadership, what would be like those core courses that you would want to teach people? I think uh, the three that I would focus on is A, building trust hmm. um, and being warm as a leader because, um, you know, I, I created a sketch note based on Amy Curtis, a famous article uh, on Harvard Business Review called Connect, Then Lead. And uh, hmm. the crux of it is that most leaders come on board and they try to uh, show their competence before they show the trust, uh, before they are able to build trust, and and therefore they risk uh, engagement from people. And I think ability to engage people, uh, ability to engage people in a meaningful way through building trust, I think is number one. And everything that a leader does ultimately ends up in a, a as a roadway or as a pathway to build trust. And for example, communication, setting clear expectations. So if there, the first thing would be the trust. How do we build trust? Second, I would say, is uh, clear communication and articulating um, uh, the vision so clearly that there is a fair bit of alignment. Because when you when when a leader recruits other people, he you know uh, he or she is recruiting really really smart people. They know how to do that job. What they often fail at is that they don't know how all of this contributes to uh, the end outcome, uh, uh, to the purpose, the strategic goals and intentions of the organization. And I think that is number two. So building trust, creating alignment, communication, communication. And the third, I would say, is to understand that a leader has a dual responsibility of getting the work done and developing people. And too often, leaders focus too much on getting the work done, uh, but they don't pay enough attention to developing people. And I think if, if a leader constantly focuses on these three things, um, I think everything else would just be a subset of these three things. So, for example, the, the need to give constant feedback, um, you know, the need to lead digitally. Uh, those, those are all techniques. Yeah. But the foundation of leadership is around trust, is around communication, and it's uh, and it's about enabling people. Uh, so, using work as a resource to develop people, just as much as using people as resources to get the work done. And so, striking a right balance between those two things. I think those would be my three picks. I love it. I like that you picked those. And so many thoughts went off on my mind when you started talking about that. I mean, one, I totally resonate with the idea that I don't think somebody who is just out to get work done is going to be successful in the next five years as a digital leader. Like you are going to come up with a lot of, you're not going to be able to lead your team well. You're not going to be able to get the stuff done you actually want to do well. And that, that's kind of just a fading thing. There'll, there'll still be people like that, but they'll be in the minority for sure. I like the move from like just being a task enforcer, like get the work done to actually thinking about caring for the humans on your team, figuring out what they need, individualizing that care, moving out from that. Thinking in terms of systems is something we talked about. Goal alignments, like you said, with your communication, getting that strategy alignment. These are big things. And this is not what we prepare leaders for, for the most part before. And so we need to start doing that. We need a generation of leaders now to build their own skills 
and then figure out how to replicate that among other people. It's a huge challenge. And I, I see that uh, I see that challenge day in and day out within the organizations uh, where leaders lack empathy, leaders uh, fail to create alignment, and uh, mm. those are the things that hurt people the most. Uh, and and yeah. probably also the organizations and 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 the way we build leaders today is also flawed in terms of the whole mm. leadership development effort is focused on competencies more than the character. And I think. Uh, yeah. You know, we need more leaders whose leadership stems from their being rather than from a set of techniques or or, or rather than uh, just some competencies that they've learned extrinsically. Uh, because I think yeah. leadership is a function of one's being, one's all, all of the past experiences that a person has really gone through. And uh, all of that shows up when, when we work with, uh, with people. One thing I'd like to add in there, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, is like, I feel like leaders in a digital age need to have some kind of like core human speciality, like understanding one bit of whether it's human psychology or whether it's some a part of biology or some art form or, or something that just makes us very unique in what we do. Like I'd want to know that somebody was a specialist in chess or strategy or, or something that's just very unique about that or understanding sleep patterns. Like I feel like every leader should have this kind of minor subject matter experts and some topic that's out there that helps them appreciate and understand humanity and be able to bring those things in in an innovative way as well. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I, I think that the great, the best leaders I have worked with have all been multidisciplinarians. Um, mm-hmm. they, yeah. have been, they have been able to port their lessons from uh, diverse disciplines and they bring that all of that into their leadership practice. And therefore, I've been focusing heavily on uh, alternative, uh, you know, multidisciplinary approach to leadership. Um, Mm. What we see in organizations today is that a lot of most leaders, in fact, are so heavily focused on specialization uh, that their focus is extremely narrow on, let's say, a certain set of technologies or certain domains. However, uh, the moment uh, there is an expanded conversation, they fail to contribute to their conversation. And that's where I think uh, they, they also start developing a very limited view of how to build people. Uh, So a technical leader would always try to build other people from technology perspective. Um, And and so that's just one example of how that limitation inhibits uh, a leader's ability to help people grow. Love that one. Tommy, this has been great. We could go on for a long time. There's so much to talk about with leadership. and, and But I'm excited about this idea of just building a new system for building leaders and a new program for that. If people want to connect with you more and learn more about the stuff that you're doing and talking about, where should they go to learn about that? So uh, the easiest way is to go onto my website, which is Q-A-S-P-I-R-E, qaspire.com. I'm very active on uh, on LinkedIn as well um, and on Twitter. Um, I, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm at T-N-V-O-R-A, T-N-V-O-R-A. That's where people can really find me. Excellent. Well, we will include all those in our show notes if people want to follow those along. I'm very excited to stay in touch with you as we continue these topics and conversations about leadership in a digital workplace. So thanks so much for being on the show. And we look forward to connecting with you again. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Neil, for having me here. It was just fun uh, catching up with you and sharing my views on the digital workplace leadership for the future. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you found Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level 5 digital workplace. 
Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.